morning uh today we are the book of uh, genesis and as i walked at the door i was telling someone that i believe in uh, see in management we have a principle principle called jit have you heard of jit j i t that means just in time right so that's a principle that i follow and i finish my the touches to my last little phrase or last little paragraph just about 5 minutes ago right so if you have your bibles turn with me to uh, to genesis chapter 11 well my boss told me that uh, when you start working uh, the business of life gets to you and uh, so last week i had a 6 day work week uh which finished yesterday uh and that's what business does get to you uh but still i thank god that he enabled me to finish this little portion and we are going to look at the call of abraham right the call of abraham and let's start with genesis chapter 11 uh we looked at the dispersion and that was uh the tower of babel that philip Uh, went through last week and so today let's start off with chapter 11 verse 27 and we go on till uh, chapter 12 verse 9 and this is what it says this is the genealogy of terah genealogy of terah and you know who terah is terah is the father of abraham so terah begat abram nahor and haran and haran begat lot and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in the Ur of the Chaldeans then Abram and Nahor took wives the name of Abram's wife was Sarah and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah the daughter of Haran the father of Milcah and the father of Iscah but Sarah was barren and she had no child and Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarah His son Abraham's wife and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan and they came to Haran and dwelt there So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran Chapter 12 Now the Lord said to Abraham get out of your country and from your family from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and i will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed so abram departed as the lord had spoken to him and lot went with him and abram was 75 years old when he departed from haran and then abram took sarah his wife and lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in haran and they departed to go to the land of Canaan and so they came to the land of Canaan and Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh and the Canaanites were there in the land then the lord appeared to abraham and said to your descendants i will give this land and there he built an altar to the lord who had appeared to him and he moved from there to the mountains east of bethel and he pitched his tent with bethel on the west Uh, uh on the west and i on the east and there he built an altar to the lord and called on the name of the lord so abram sojourned 
going on still towards the south. Now in this study, I'm not going to uh, speak on the genealogy of, of Terah, uh, except uh, to state some very intriguing, intriguing facts uh, about this genealogy. So I'll not go much into it, but state some uh, facts that I'm sure many of you would have uh, gathered by now. Uh, if you look at this, you can see that Abraham married his half-sister, right? Which means the daughter of his father, but not the daughter of his mother. So Abraham married his half-sister, Sarah, and Nahor went one step worse and he married his niece, Milcah, right? So you, this is what you see in the genealogy of uh, uh, Terah. So Abraham married his half-sister and Nahor, his brother, married his own niece, Milcah. Now, you might ask me this question, is this permitted in the scriptures? And I know if I ask my kids about it, they have all sorts of things to say. But is this really permitted in uh, the scriptures? The scripture does not really talk about it, except after the exodus, after the children of Israel came out from Egypt and came in to the land uh, and was, was walking towards the land, that Moses instituted some laws. And in the Mosaic law, it's the, there's clearly defined boundaries as far as marriage between close family members. And you can read that in Leviticus chapter 18. So if this incident took place after the Mosaic law, it would not have been permitted in the scripture. So that's one intriguing fact to note. And that is why later on in the life of Abraham, you can see that Abraham declared uh, to Abimelech, for example, that Sarah was his sister. So he was not lying but he was telling a half-truth, right? Another intriguing fact for you to consider is to figure out the actual age of Terah. And this is what I did when I did a small mathematics or arithmetic. Now, you can figure out here that Terah died at the age of 205 years, and we notice that in verse 32, chapter 11. So just remember, the scripture says that Abraham, sorry, Terah died at the age of 205 years, and then Abraham departed from the land of Haran at the age of 75 after his father's death. Now, assuming that Abraham departed soon after his father's death, that would have made Terah 130 years old when he gave birth to Abraham. Not when, not when he gave birth, but his wife gave birth to Abraham. <laughs> now, this clearly contradicts what the scripture says in chapter 11, verse 26, where Terah lived 70 years and begat Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Now, in my opinion, if Terah was anything more than 100 years when he began Abraham, that itself would have been a miracle. Why? Because Abraham considered himself just too old at the age of 100 to have a son. We can see that in the later chapters. Now, I'm sure there are answers to these intriguing facts. There is one thing uh, when I read, I found that it says that the Samaritan text puts Terah's actual age at 145 years, which corresponds to the arithmetic when you work out here. But these are intriguing facts for you to consider. I'm not going to dwell into these things. But the important thing for us to notice is the transition that we see from chapter 11 to chapter 12. And this transition is very, very significant. Why? Because in this transition, God narrows, clearly marks out and narrows his plan of salvation for all mankind. And that is why it is so significant. The transition from chapter 11 to chapter 12. Now, when you read this, is it, it is just stated as just a matter of fact. 
But when you look, look at it from a biblical uh, span and worldview and a biblical point of view, it's very, very significant, this transition. And the salvation plan for all mankind starts out in chapter 11, verse 31, with a call to Abraham to leave his ancestral home, to go out of his father's family and go to the land of Canaan. And when you read chapter 12, verse 1 to 4, you get the impression that this call to Abraham to leave his ancestral home, to leave his family, came when he was in Haran. However, we know that this is not the case. Why? Because if you read Acts chapter 7, verses 2 to 4, when Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church, began his defense in front of people, what did he do? Well, he mentioned there in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 to 4, that the call of Abraham to get out of the land happened when he was in the Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of Mesopotamia, not in Aaron. Uh, now, the Ur of the Chaldeans, as I said, is in Mesopotamia. It's the same region where the Tower of Babel was built, and that was what we looked at last week. Uh, Philip looked at that. The Tower of Babel was built there. It was a center for idol worship. And from that region came the great dispersion, where God dispersed the people by scattering them. And also from that region, God initiated the beginnings of a nation. The beginnings of a nation through which the Savior would be born. And that is what happened in the regions of Mesopotamia. I always wondered as to why Abraham took a northward journey, right, from the Ur of the Chaldeans to Haran. Why should he could have easily taken a westward journey? Now, one thing that you must understand or realize that during his time, the time of Abraham, walking long distances, especially through wilderness and desert, puts you at risk when you run out of water. And that's something that you need to understand. And many who travel long distances prefer to stay close to streams of water. And in this case, you can see that Abraham stayed quite close to the river Euphrates. And that's how he landed and at Haran and reached there. Now, we do not know for how long that Abraham actually stayed in Haran. But by what we read in verse 5, you can see that Abraham would have stayed there fairly a long time, for quite some time, because in verse 5 it says that he stayed there long enough to gather possessions, he stayed there long enough to gather slaves and servants, and it was there that his father Terah died. And from Haran, he probably would have walked a distance to Jordan and then followed the river Jordan until he reached the land of the Canaanites. And that was Abraham's trip, the call of God took him from the Ur of the Chaldeans to Haran and from Haran to the Canaanite region. A total distance of over 1,700 kilometers. Now God's instruction to Abraham was very clear in chapter 12, verse 1. What was it? Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. That was God's instructions. And Abraham was called to leave his country, family, ancestral home. And it was an enormous step of faith. Uh, to leave the comfort and the security of his own home and to go to a strange and hostile land. Right? It was an enormous step of faith and Abraham heeded God's call by faith. And that is why in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 we read that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which, which he would receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. It was an enormous step of faith. 
However, one thing that struck me was that in verse 4, tucked in verse 4, we see that Abraham compromised God's calling by taking his nephew Lot with him. And that is what we see in chapter 12, verse 4, where it says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Lot went with him. Abraham's step of faith was compromised to some extent by disobedience. And we know from history that this has had a very long-term consequences for the nation of Israel. Why? Because we know that through Lot and his two daughters, two sons were born to Lot, Ammon and Moab. And out of Ammon and Moab came the Ammonites and the Moabites, occupying most of the northern and the middle regions of Jordan today. Right? Now, if you go to Jordan and fly from here to Amman, and that's the capital of the, the Ammonites, and up in the northern region we have the Moabites. And that's where you get Mount Nebo. And that's Jordan today. And it has always been, they have always been a constant threat and a thorn to the sides of the children of Israel. So it's, it's true that Abraham was a man of great faith, yet at times he compromised and disobeyed with disastrous consequences. Now when you read about men of great faith in the scriptures, who at times compromised and disobeyed the Lord, they had to face consequences of their disobedience. We see that time and time again in the scriptures. Moses, for example, disobeyed by striking the rock. He was supposed to speak to it, but he struck the rock. And because of that, God did not permit him to enter the promised land, but he only saw the land of Canaan from the top of Mount Nebo. Even though Abraham disobeyed God and did not, God did not withdraw his grace and his promises, he kept his divine covenant with Abraham and his descendants. So God's covenant with Abraham was not, an un, was not a conditional covenant. It was an unconditional covenant of God. And that's something that we need to understand. Now, one thing I would like to stress here is that the divine idea of this divine unconditional covenant emerges not only in chapter 12 here, but it actually emerged in chapter 6 right up to chapter 12. And in a sense, these chapters 6 to 12 are important foundational chapters of the entire scripture or the Bible. It started off, for example, with Noah, where God made a covenant with Noah, an unconditional covenant with Noah and his descendants. And not only with Noah and his descendants, but also with all of the living creatures and the earth. And the unconditional covenant was that he would not destroy the entire world by flood again. And as long as the earth remains, that's what the unconditional covenant says, and as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest time. There will be cold and heat, summer and winter, night and day. And God will no longer curse the ground. And we read of this unconditional covenant in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now, there are two important facts when you read about these types of unconditional covenant. The, Noah, the covenant with Noah and the covenant with Abraham. First, the covenant that God made with Noah and Abraham, as I said, is unconditional. And the responsibility to fulfill this covenant lies entirely with whom? With God. It's not with man. It lies entirely with God. Quite unlike what we read in the Mosaic covenant, which is conditional upon man's obedience to the law. So that's the first thing that we notice here. The second 
It's a universal in its blessings. Now, that's something that is great. It's universal in its blessings. But the beginning of these covenants is with one person. Through the selection of one man, Noah, the world received and continues to receive the physical blessings that we see today. Seed time and harvest time, seasons, the promise of the world that will not be destroyed by flood. Now, whenever we grow vegetables in our garden, we must remember God's covenant. He has promised that he will no longer curse the ground. Whenever we uh, look forward to the summer season, for example, I look forward to the summer season and the time to be spent at the beach. I look forward to the Cooper's Beach this summer. Be thankful to God that God is faithful to his divine covenant. Through God's selection of Abraham, all the families of the earth, that's what God promised Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this blessing is not only spiritual, but this blessing is also physical. And we look at this form of these blessings a little while, a little later on. Now, whereas the physical sign of the covenant with Noah was a rainbow, now when we see the rainbow today, remember that's a physical sign of God's covenant with Noah, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant was the circumcision of the flesh. And we read that in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. It was a personal mark to be born by Abraham and his descendants, which we know now is the nation of Israel. Now, because God marked out uh, Abraham's descendants, we also see a shift in the way Satan tries to hinder the purposes of God. Now, that is something that was very clear when you read through the scriptures. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, and God said that he will deal a death blow to Satan through the seed of the woman, what did Satan try to do? Well, from Genesis chapter uh, 3, right up to Genesis chapter 6, we see that Satan tried his very, very best, his utmost best to corrupt the seed of mankind. That's what we see. Jeff, for example, mentioned this. He tried uh, through the unholy union of angelic being and the women in order to corrupt the seed of mankind. We read from Genesis chapter 3 uh, to Genesis chapter 7 how the wickedness of the earth increased to such an extent that God brought a worldwide flood to destroy the world, except for righteous Noah and his family. Now, after the flood, God began to narrow his plan of salvation by selecting the descendants of Abraham. Now, when you read that, you can see that Satan, this caused Satan to shift his attention to this tiny nation of Israel. And, and that's what we see historically. This explains the focus of the entire world today towards the Middle East. This explains the focus of the entire world today towards this tiny nation called Israel. And on many occasions, on many times, Satan tried to destroy the nation of Israel. If God had not delivered the nation of Israel uh, by parting the Red Sea, what would have happened? Pharaoh would have destroyed Israel. Once again, at the time of Queen Esther, Satan tried to exterminate the Jews by the hand of Haman. We read that. But yet God defeated Satan's plan. Around 150 BC, there was Antiochus Epiphanes, if you remember him. He was a ruler of the Seleucid Empire. And what happened to him? Well, he marched into Israel, he desecrated the temple, he sacrificed a pig on the temple, and he conducted the Olympic Games, as we know today, uh, at the courts of the temple. Now, remember one thing, that the Olympic Games at that time, the athletes never wore any clothes. They were naked, stark naked. That was how they competed. 
And in that sense, he rarely desecrated the temple. And he was, in fact, a picture of the Antichrist to come, who will set up his image in the temple in the middle of the tribulation period. And it was through Judas Maccabees, if you read through history, who led the revolt that overthrew Antiochus Epiphanes. And here again, it was the hand of God that protected the nation of Israel. Then again, in more modern times, in AD 70, we see that Jerusalem was completely destroyed by Titus, the Roman general. And the Jews were scattered right across the world, never again to be a nation for over 2,000 years. And Satan thought that he can deal a death blow by exterminating millions of Jews during the Holocaust, only to see the nation of Israel miraculously coming up as a nation once again in 1948, after 2,000 years ago. Today we see, for example, Hamas in Israel. Hamas's focus is to exterminate all Jews from the face of the earth. That is Hamas's focus. They are very explicit about it. And we are also aware of the plans that the Iranians have to build a nuclear bomb. For what? Well, the express focus of destroying the nation of Israel. So Satan's attention on this tiny little nation will be constant. It will not abate. Why? Because of the Abrahamic covenant. Because of that. And his, uh, he'll not abate. He'll know that. He knows that God's blessings to all the nations rest on this tiny little nation of Israel. Now, let us examine what this divine covenant is all about. And we read of this divine covenant that God made with Abraham in chapter 12, verses 2 to 3. And I'll read it out to you again. It says, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, when you look at this Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham, the question we should ask is this. Is this covenant fulfilled today? Is it really, really fulfilled today? For me, the simple answer is a yes and a no. Now, that seems quite political. I am not a politician, right? It's a simple answer is a yes and a no, which means that there is, I believe, a partial fulfillment of this covenant. And its complete fulfillment is yet to come. In my opinion, it will take place during the Millennium Kingdom. Now, the Abrahamic covenant, as we read here, is a covenant of blessing. And the word bless or the blessing is used five times when you read from verses 2 to 3. And the blessing is both spiritual in nature as well as physical in nature. And the physical blessing, in my opinion, is yet to be fulfilled. Let's look at the spiritual nature of this blessing. Abraham is mentioned here to be the father of all the faithful, both for Jews as well as the Gentiles. Now, if you want to have or get a greater understanding of what it means to be a father of the faithful for all the Jews and the Gentiles, well, you need to read Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, verses 19 to 22, we see that Abraham believed in God. He had faith in God. He believed that God would fulfill the promise that he made of an heir of, of descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. Even though he was old, even though Sarah had passed a childbearing age, he still believed. 
He still believed. And it's very important, it's very important to note that when he believed that God imputed to him righteousness. And that's what the scripture says. And the apostle Paul makes a very important observation here in Romans chapter 4 verse 10 that this righteousness that was imputed to Abraham, given to Abraham, happened before he was circumcised. Not after, but before he was circumcised. The circumcision of the flesh that Abraham received was only a sign or a seal of the righteousness which he received by faith. And we read that in Romans chapter 4, verse 11. Now, when you have this picture in mind, that to Abraham was imputed righteousness because he believed in God, believed the impossible, and after his uh, righteousness that was imputed to him, he received the circumcision of the flesh, which is a sign of his righteousness. You ask this question, what has it got to do with me? What has it got to do with the Gentiles today? Now we know that through Abraham, through Isaac and Jacob, we have the promised seed mentioned by God in Genesis chapter 3, verse 25. The promised seed is the Messiah or the Christ. Now if we believe that Christ died for our sins and that God raised him up on the third day for our justification, then like Abraham, we are also imputed with righteousness. And Romans chapter 4 verse 25 makes this point very, very clear. The moment we trust in Christ as our Savior, the moment we believe that he was raised for our justification, then we are given the righteousness of God. And that is mentioned in Romans chapter 4 verse 25. So instead of the physical circumcision that Abraham had, which is a sign of his righteousness, we receive what? The spiritual circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. And that's what the scripture says. And the Holy Spirit is given to us as the seal of that righteousness. Therefore, in this sense, Abraham became the forerunner of all those who are made righteous by faith. And that's what it means. He became like the forerunner, the picture of all those who will be made righteous by faith. Just like Abraham was made righteous because he believed, we are made righteous by believing on the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Abraham who received the seal of righteousness, which is circumcision of the flesh, we too receive the seal of righteousness by the circumcision of our hearts. And in this sense, Abraham becomes the father of all the faithful, the father of both Jews and the Gentiles, and thus the father of many, many nations. And that's what um, Paul says in Romans chapter 4. Right? And that's the spiritual blessing of that covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, which I believe is fulfilled today. But as far as the physical blessings are concerned, it's only partially fulfilled. What are the physical blessings promised to Abraham and his descendants? Well, first, Abraham's descendants is to be a great nation. Is Israel a great nation? The descendants of Abraham, uh, their name is supposed to be great. Is it upheld as a great nation today? Is Israel as a nation uh, being looked up to today? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are all the portions of the land that God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 to 22, verses 18 to 20, is it possessed by Israel today? For me, the answer to all of these questions is not yet. No, and not yet. Israel, by all accounts, is detested by many nations, right? 
and anti-Semitism runs very, very high today. I have even come across believers or Christians, especially those who work in the NGOs. I know, for example, one lady who works for the NGO. She was a former CEO of uh, the World Vision and now works for CBM International and they work in Gaza. She goes and works in Gaza. Right? And the suffering that she is in Gaza, she puts it fairly and squarely and blames it on Israel. Although she is a believer who knows the Lord and loves the Lord. Anti-Semitism runs very high throughout all the world that we see today. Israel is detested. The current campaign against uh, Gaza by Israel only adds to the hatred that the world has against Israel. If you look at the television today, all the television shows is the suffering, the killings of innocent children and men and women in Gaza. And that's what is shown today. And there are anti-Jewish protests all over the world and it's growing day by day. Now, the question I'm going to ask you today, is Israel morally right in their campaign against Gaza? Well, if you want to come and have a chat with me, let's do it after the meeting. But are they morally right in their campaign against Gaza? I don't want to answer this question right now, but simply state the very sad fact. I'm grieved by the loss of innocent lives from both sides of the divide. Right? Although we see some of the nations who curse Israel brought low by God, it is still not fulfilled to its fullest. Because God says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, He will bless those who will bless Israel. He will curse those who will curse Israel. No exception. Right? So the physical blessings contained in the covenants, in my opinion, are yet to be fulfilled. We see, for example, Israel being occupied by the Palestinians in the West Bank and right in the Gaza Strip. Large portions of the land that we currently see uh, in Jordan should rightfully belong to Israel. You know that? The promise of the inheritance uh, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, it is yet to be fulfilled. It was only in the time of Solomon, King Solomon, that Israel's had, or, or Israel had rule of the entire land, but not now. So when you survey these facts, you begin to understand or realize that the physical blessings that God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, are yet to be fulfilled. Right? Although spiritually we are the sons of Abraham, who is the father of the faithful, physical blessings still remain to be fulfilled. When will these physical blessings be fulfilled? Well, I believe that it will be fulfilled during the time of the millennium kingdom. I say we. And I place you and I in this category because I strongly believe from the scriptures we will be a witness of this millennium kingdom. We will be a witness of this fulfillment of the physical blessings for the nation of Israel. Jerusalem, as the scripture says, will be the center of, for world government, will be the center of world worship. We read that in Ezekiel chapter 45. And the nation of Israel will be highly exalted at that time. And as the song goes, and as the scripture says, it will be the head and not the tail. It will be above and not beneath. If we read in Isaiah chapter 12, chapter 2, sorry, verses 1 to 3, and this is what Isaiah says of that day. The word that came to Isaiah, that Isaiah the son of Amos saw, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, what did Isaiah see? Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, that's the millennium kingdom, that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills 
and all nations from all over the world shall flow to it all nations now you get a semblance of that when you go and visit israel today right you get all nations coming and just to visit the historical site but here it will be a flow of all nations to jerusalem many people shall come and say come let us go to the mountain of the lord to the house of god of jacob and he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his path for out of zion shall go forth the law and the word of the law from jerusalem it is during this millennium kingdom that israel as a nation will be exalted and will be a great nation at god covenanted and promised to abraham the physical land will be greatly expanded ezekiel chapter 47 verses 13 to 33 tells us that and from the temple in jerusalem shall will flow a river the flow a river and ezekiel was asked to measure that and and the waters from this river will heal the seas and produce abundance of marine life ezekiel chapter 47 verses 1 to 10 every nation is required to worship the lord in jerusalem and what does the scripture says and those who do not worship and come and worship will be cursed will be cursed so it is during this millennium kingdom that all the physical blessings contained in the abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled and that's something for us to understand and recognize when we consider this abrahamic covenant in chapter 12 genesis chapter 12 we not only see the sovereignty of god but we also see his grace right it's a, it's a wonderful combination of the two when god called out abraham he made an unconditional covenant with abraham so that through abraham there will be both a spiritual blessing to all the families of the earth jews and gentiles alike and they also will be a physical blessing for all the families of the earth and we see from genesis chapter 12 right up to acts chapter 12 it's a wonderful thing when you read the scriptures genesis chapter 12 to acts chapter 12 we see how god deals with the nation of israel and forms the nation of israel but from acts chapter 13 onwards what we do you see we see the blessings flowing to all the other gentile nations primarily through the work of the apostle paul the apostle to the gentiles spreading across to all nations both jews and gentiles and we sit here today recipients of god's wonderful grace right you and i each and every one of us who are seated here we are recipients of that wonderful grace of god we can look forward to tomorrow knowing that we will be witnesses of this wonderful full physical blessings and we sit here today remembering the past as recipients of god's wonderful grace so we have the assurance of salvation today and the hope of the future glory tomorrow what a savior we worship and all of these things are contained in the abrahamic covenant now although satan tries to continues to destroy and try his very best to exterminate israel from the face of the earth now when you look at israel you will wonder as to why so much of world attention is on israel right it's not a big land in fact i will give you 3 days i believe you can walk from the tip of the north to the south of israel it's not a big land but why why is center of attention of the world today on the nation of israel because satan's agenda is to destroy that nation but he will not succeed right he tried that for many many centuries and many many years and he will not succeed god is sovereign his unconditional covenant with abraham will be fulfilled now isn't it wonderful 
that we worship a God who keeps his covenant, his unconditional covenant. Right? And we can rest on the assurance of that, that what God promises us, and there are so many promises in the scriptures, he will fulfill. That's what the Apostle Paul says, I have this very, very confidence that what he began in me, he would complete. And that is the God that we worship, a God of sovereign grace. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that uh, we have come together to remember the covenant that you made with Abraham. Father God, we thank you that we are the recipients of your grace. We thank you that we can come today and worship our Savior and our Lord. And recognizing and knowing that our Savior and our Lord is going to come for us tomorrow. So Father, we thank and praise you for all things that you have done for us. For your great love and your great grace. And these things we commit and ask in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.